Welcome back to another big, big episode of The Brothers Trek About. As always, my name is Matt in Austin, where the allergies have taken over. Whether it be mold or pollen, I'm not sure which one, but I am dying today. But the show must go on! <clears throat> well, we'll see. Anyway, that's me saying hi. And from Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken! Peace and long life. Excellent. Well, we are here this week to talk about uh, the episode Errand of Mercy, episode number 27, I believe. I should look up that number, make sure I'm right. Yes, episode 27. Amazing of the first season. 27 episodes, and there's still more to come. I feel like this is very different from the normal uh, 24 episodes that we get in uh, our seasons nowadays. Probably more episodes uh, in a season than most most television shows, even in the 80s, probably. 27, I think we get up to 29 this first season. Boy, oh boy, is that a lot. Uh, I know that the because it was syndicated, that the first uh, season of Next Generation also has a vast number of episodes, uh, which is also over 24. I think it hits 26 or 27 as well. So all this plays into uh, some of the stuff that's been continuing to happen as, and we have sort of talked about behind the scenes. NBC has, has not yet said whether or not they wanted an extra three or four episodes from the show or not. Uh, obviously, Robert Justman, the producer, has been freaking out because if they did want these episodes, I talked about this in the, in the last couple episodes, but they did want these episodes that they didn't have enough scripts coming in. In fact, in early November uh, of, the, of that year, NBC decided to cough up $14,000 and authorize the writing of uh, four additional scripts just in case. So if scripts weren't going to be used that uh, season, then they would be uh, put into the next season, assuming everything went well and they were picked up. So uh, originally NBC was saying, hey, let's do four. Let's, uh, it'll be great. But on December 9th, they decided, hey, let's, uh, let's back off on that a little bit and we'll only make you do three more episodes because that's, hey, one less than you were going to have to do before. So that's awesome. And so, so, of course, Kuhn, who had written up that last episode in like about a week, basically does the same thing in this episode this week. He uh, is still hashing it out with, Harlan Ellison to get uh, the City of Forever script that could be filmed under budget. And so uh, he dashes off another one in record amount of time. What's even more amazing is that this script, which, as we know, is uh, number 27 on the season, was actually the 45th story assignment of the year. So many more assignments had been giving out to uh, spending more and more money developing stories that it, at that point, spent uh, more money developing stories than any other series uh, from this time. And of course, Robert Justman was like, hey, we need to keep finding scripts, but yes, we need to be able to pare them down to do, be able to do them in six days and for 185000 which of course was their budget at the time. The last week of December, Gene Kuhn writes this script. A week after that, 
he gets the final draft done and the revised standard edition, which was finally finished on January 23rd. Now, at this point, Gene Reinberry has uh, checked himself into a hospital, but it wasn't exhaustion. According to uh, Daily Variety, he had uh, ciliosis. It's weird. Reinberry says that uh, this is the first case of ciliosis since 1912. So that was weird. Uh, it was kind of like passing kidney stones, basically. So he was in a lot of pain and uh, wasn't around a lot during this time when, honestly, they probably needed him the most. So uh, he kept making changes, you know, like I said, until the 26th of January when the final uh, shooting script was ready. Uh, he made it possible to use some of the effects that they had used back in Balance of Terror, you know, so that the uh, so that they could save money on effects and uh, overall uh, try to use as many visual effects from shows that they had already done before to save money to save money, blah, blah, blah. So they hire a new director. Uh, this is his first time and ends up being his only time. Uh, not for any bad reasons, but just because, uh, you know, his schedule got busier and busier. His name was John Newland. He had served as an actor and director on more than a dozen episodes of the Loretta Young show. And uh, in 1959, began a three-year stint directing and hosting a show called Alcoa Presents, a dramatic anthology series involving allegedly true stories of the supernatural. But once its uh, sponsor had moved on, the series later became known as One Step Beyond. So he was the host and uh, main director of that. He was basically the uh, the Rod Serling of uh, One Step Beyond. In fact, when Rod Serling came uh, came around to do The Twilight Zone, he actually went to John Newland and said to him, uh, hey, listen, I'm going to be doing this anthology show, but it's not going to be about the supernatural, but it's going to be very similar in format to your show. And uh, in pretty much every other way, except for <laughs> it being about uh, the supernatural, he took all the steps. He hosted it just like uh, John Newland did as well. John Colicos, who is the uh, man who ends up playing uh, Core in this episode, was recommended by Newland, having worked on uh, with the actor in an episode of uh, One Step Beyond. He wanted him to play Core, the Klingon. Kaliosis said that uh, we devised the makeup right then and there when the day they brought me on board. Fred uh, Phillips, who was the uh, makeup director at the time, says, uh, what do you want to look like? Colicos had said that he had seen the script and that uh, in the script, it had said that he was supposed to look like a futuristic Russian, you know. And so he goes, let's go further back than that and think Genghis Khan. He goes on to say, my hair happened to be very short at that time and uh, and was combed forward. So I said, so spray it down and kind of kink it a bit and give me this vaguely Asian tartar appearance. So uh, then we go for this ground and breed makeup to make you slightly out of this world. And within two hours, that was it. Boom. The Klingon look had been solidified. One other actor worth uh, talking about in this one, who was also uh, who was one of the Klingons as well in this episode, his name was Victor London. He had many appearances on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and the Time Tunnel. So with this, uh, he also becomes the first Klingon to be seen on Star Trek. But he was also in the running for the role of Mr. Spock. Uh, it was between him and Leonard Nimoy and this other actor at a distant third. But uh, Gene Roddenberry had known Nimoy for some time, and so then uh, that's why Nimoy had gotten the role. So, so there we else, go. Who else was up for it? Uh, this guy, Victor London, who was uh, the uh, obviously the first Klingon we see in this episode. I believe he's like the number two. All right, and that's all I got for behind-the-scenes stuff. 
Uh, we're going to go ahead and boom, get to it. Let's do it. Captain's log, starting. It's five-year mission. So as uh, the, the episode opens up, we got uh, the ship is traveling. Uh, on the bridge, Kirk uh, finds out that the negotiations with the Klingon Empire have broken down and the Federation is certain of a sneak attack. So the Enterprise is sent to Organia to make sure that the Klingons can't set up the base. It's a vis- very strategic place in the galaxy uh, for both the Klingons and the Federation. So they need to uh, they need to get up there and set up the base first and get on top of it. Apparently, as we find out later in this episode, there's no one else to spend, right? Because we don't have, the fleet's not around. The Enterprise is the only one there. And even though we find out that there is a Klingon fleet in the area, the Federation sends, sends the Enterprise out all on its own to try and take and keep the planet as long as it possibly can. Uh, we find out that Organia is a Class D civilization. And uh, Kirk sort of figuratively weeps for the uh, smaller people who get stuck in the middle of a larger war. Suddenly, Sulu sees something on, on the scanner, but before he can identify it, boom, they're hit. It's the Klingon, and the battle ensues. Maximum dispersal of the phasers, says Kirk. And they get him. Boom. They blow up the lone Klingon ship. In the damage report, we hear about a buckling in the antimatter pods. That sounds bad. It sounds bad if we got some buckling going on in the antimatter pods. That's a, it's causing a, it's going to cause an explosion before you know it. We get a relay then, code one from the Federation. We are now at war. The triggers have been pulled, Mr. Spock. Now we have to get there before the hammer falls. Credits. Back from the credits, we find out it's Stardate 3891.4. A fleet of Klingons are in the area. Sulu is left to be in charge, and Kirk here gives Sulu the speech. Your first duty is to the ship, not us. If the fleet arrives, get the hell out of Dodge and contact our fleet. Spock and I will be all right. Which, oddly enough, is exactly what happens. They beam down. And Kirk finds it interesting that there is a curious lack of interest in the fact that two people have arrived. But then they are greeted by a man in purple. Aleborn, which sounds like a very Lord of the Rings-esque uh, name, if you ask me. <laughs> Aleborn, the chairman of the Council of Elders, takes them to the council. However, Spock decides he's going to peel off and take a look at some readings. Kirk gets to the council and sort of lays out his, uh, his stance on uh, why the council should stick with him. Council responds, who are we more afraid of, you or these Klingons? Where should we go? Which one will we have the choice? Kirk responds, well, with us, you will have a choice. With Klingons, you'll have no choice. I've seen what's happened to uh, other planets that have been taken by the Klingons. You're taken into slave labor. You're forced to work. And yet, strangely, they opt not to be helped. They opt not to be helped. We have no defenses. There is no need. It is our way of life that you are changing. But that's the first thing that will be lost, says Kirk. They opted to, to debate Kirk's kind offer. Meanwhile, Spock shows up, and he says that the, uh, the civilization has stagnated. For tens of thousands of years, it, is, it has been this way. It's the same culture. There's been no advancement. Back to the council, they still refuse Kirk's offer. In fact, 
they seem very insistent that he, uh, he leave and get off the planet, for it is Kirk that they are worried about. Kirk then offers to help remake the, the world. I will show you how to feed thousands. And yet they still refuse. Then suddenly one of Aelborn's men uh, knows that the Klingons have shown up and that they have beamed down. That's strange. How did he know that? All Aelborn says is that he is intuitive. Commercial break. I got interested into this episode at this point, right? So, you know, first we've got the Klingons as bad guys. That's always exciting. And uh, we have this civilization that is right now uh, looks like it is, uh, you know, I can't remember the episode. The one a few weeks back, another uh, another civilization that has sort of like lost its will to move forward. Return of the Archons. I was thinking about Return of the Archons. It doesn't have the motivation to keep going. They've stagnated. I think both of these are a really fun concept. You know, we got the Klingons involved. We got this stagnated society. So I like it so far. I don't know about Kirk coming in here and trying to change the Prime Directive, but that's a whole other story. Well, of course, we have no Prime Directive as of yet. It hasn't been mentioned yet. I thought we'd, uh, I thought we had hit it already. No, um, they've mentioned Prime Directives in, in regards to other things. Like, this computer's prime directive seems to be to compute very fast. Hmm. But they've never expressed any kind of, like, the Federation's prime directive is one of non-interference. Right. Interesting. Now, you know, with the idea that these guys are Captain Cook or, you know, 18th century naval officers, you know, you look at the problems that Cook had and what the result of you know, basically Cook showing up and being like, hi, we're the British. And, uh, you know, the civilizations encountering that. Because, you know, Cook had his, you know, like, cannon. Yeah. It, 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 right it, down. it didn't work out necessarily well for anyone but the British. Well, that's true. As they so, took uh, over the world. You know, I, I think, ultimately, they, they think that it's not fair, it's not good, it's not noble, it's not heroic. Right. It seems to be kind of mean, imperialist. <laughs> so let's, let's not have our heroes do that. But, but I don't think they've gotten quite that far. So this feels more like, uh, you know, to go back a couple episodes to, uh, to another episode, what was that? Uh, I forget the name now. But it, it's a Vietnam analogy, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. so here you have the United States versus the Soviet Union, and then there's some small country that they're trying to one side or the other. Right. And then it, it turns out that that the twist is that reveal at the end where you realize that this isn't some third world stagnated country that's had no development for thousands of years. That's Quite the opposite. Right. You know, it's like, uh, so, you know, if you think of, like, Southeast Asia or something, and let's go just a little bit northeast of Southeast Asia, and it's like, you know, Nepal or something. Uh, but you, you could do Southeast Asia with a, a different kind of Buddhism. And you're like, well, you know, you, you really have to side with us. No, you have to side with us. No, you have to side with us. And it's turned out, like, they're all, like, enlightened. And <laughs> right. <laughs> not concerned with your stuff. 
but there's a zero sum game between communism and, and you know, the West. Yeah, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're above that. That's right. So it's that kind of a, that kind of a thing. So uh, back to it. Stardate is now three two zero one. The Klingons have arrived. Kirk and Spock are dressed as Organians, undercover. First, I wrote a note saying, uh, "Oh, so we're not going to uh, we're not going to uh, cover Spock's ears," but uh, that's taken care of as they realize they can just make him a Vulcan. It's not like they're in the past where Vulcans don't exist. Aelborn, uh, though, has taken their phasers. Kirk asks for them back, but Aelborn refuses. He says he cannot allow violence. Oh, okay. Again, Aelborn says uh, they have nothing to fear. The note I wrote there is, are they that simplistic or are they hiding something? Mm, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's weird, I, but because they, they do a really bad job of communicating what's going on here, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, they... They're so vague that you know you you never get a clue, right? Other than right. something feels wrong, and so on the one hand, you you kind of get this: this is a stagnant society. Um, these people don't know what's going on here, right? You know, they apparently living in this kind of harmonious space Amish situation for so long <laughs> that they can't imagine the danger that's out there, right? Uh, that the Klingon Empire might pose. Or because they are, you know, super beings of pure thought and energy, that these are irrelevant concerns to. They have difficulty, you know, like explaining how these petty concerns are kind of irrelevant to them. Like, uh, you know, later on when they kill 200 Organians, or like kill with quotation marks. Yes. Nobody cares. And you're like, okay, this is getting absurd in the level of not caring. Unless, of course, it's like, well, you, like, it's like, you know, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to, like, make bunny ears on your shadow. And you're like, really? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm totally unconcerned about your threats. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so when you realize that, that they're beings of pure energy, the fact that they're basically making bunny ears on your shadow is, you know, of course, they respond as though it's irrelevant. Yeah. And they're yeah. unconcerned, but they can't, they never explain in a way that even hints at why they're unconcerned. And so their unconcern looks bizarre and out of place. Yeah, it sure does. And it's funny that they didn't just like come out. I mean, what's never quite explained in this is why, is why they do that. Why they don't just come out and be like, we are beings of pure energy, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, you don't have to worry about it. You can't hurt us. We'll destroy you both. Nor do they articulate any kind of philosophy or, you know, or point of view that suggests we think your combat is trivial. We think your, you know, efforts and, yeah. you know, interstellar hegemony are, are ultimately futile. You know, the kinds of things that might distract Spock and Kirk with, no, no, actually, they're quite important. Yeah. Instead, or even like... Go ahead. They offer nothing and they just smile. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's even if there was a throwaway line at the end that was just like, hey, uh, 
Uh, we just wanted to see if you were going to work it out for yourselves or, you know, anything that was like that would have just explained their actions a little bit more. It would have been just, you know, just to give us a little bit of like why they were doing what they were doing. But we've jumped ahead because we're not there yet, but that's okay. Again, Aelborn says that they have nothing to fear. Kur comes into the room. He takes a special interest in Kirk, who does not have the dumb and placid smile of the other Organians. Kur turns to Spock and says that he might be a Federation spy. And Kirk, not being able to hold his tongue for some reason, says he is not a spy. Kur turns back to him. Oh, do we have a ram among the sheep, he asks. So you welcome me, he says to the Organian Council. Do you, Kirk, welcome me? Well, he doesn't say Kirk. I wrote that in so I knew who we were talking about. Kirk responds back, uh, well, you are here and there is nothing I can do. Good, honest hatred. Like me or not, I am here. And then he uh, drones on and on and on about how he's going to enslave everyone. And, you know, if anyone rebels, it's going to be your death. Blah, 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 blah. Typical Klingons. So this is how I'm going to handle things. Do you approve, Barona? Kirk. Kirk says back, uh, well, you do seem to be in command. I like this exchange because it's there's Kirk saying something without really saying something, but also kind of getting a dig in, you know? It's a very layered line. It's part of what I like about this whole scene is how layered the two are. I love the little exchanges between them because they're, like, amazing. And, of course, it's, like, what goes on to become most of this episode is just these two at each other, which is amazing. It's so fun. Kor continues on growling about the Organians and their smiles. He says, I, do, I can't trust a man who smiles. If one Klingon is killed, a thousand Organians will die, says Kor. Such a threat. Kor then makes Kirk the liaison between the Klingons and the Organians, which it's clear by the look on Kirk's face, he doesn't want it. Then Kor uh, tells them to take uh, Spock away. Kirk moves to the guards to try and stop them, but Kor steps in his way and gives him a slight push. Kirk reacts to the push. Oh, you don't like being pushed, says Kor. Good. You may be a man I can deal with says Kor. Uh, Kirk gives the Organians this like sort of half-mocking salute to them on his way out, which I liked. Spock is allowed to hang around and well, uh, he, fools them into... Go he's ahead. just a dealer in Kevis and Trillium, so... <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, then we've got this scene here where we find out that they uh, they used like the mind thing on him to try and uh, go into his brain. They went all the way up to level four. They did. Clearly capable of finding out whether someone's a liar or not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Unless you had well, any communication with the Romulans, right? Which clearly they right. haven't. <laughs> because then they'd be like, well, we, unless the Vulcans are like the Romulans, in which case we have yes, no idea exactly. what's going on. I guess the Romulans are hiding from the Klingons as well. Spock is then allowed to go again, but he will be on, under constant surveillance. They uh, walk out into the market marketplace. A Klingon bumps into Kirk, who like instantly turns on him and tries to attack him. But uh, Spock, call, you know, like soup moves over the situation really quickly. One of the hard things I have a problem with in this episode is how bad it Kirk is at being undercover, right? Yeah. 
Like he just can't keep his like he can't. There's no diplomacy either. He can't yeah. keep his uh, you know his 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 thoughts in check. He can't keep his like every time you know the Klingons do something, he wants to like take them down. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's so to go back to our 18th century analogy, right? Right. It's as though so the captain of the ship is not only the captain of the ship used to being in charge, but he's right. the member of a social class that doesn't even understand how to be humble or quiet. It's like right. you've, taken a, you've taken a nobleman who's been his whole life able to lord over everybody else, his rank and stature. Now he's the captain of a ship, which is an appropriate you know, thing for a nobleman. And now he's like, okay, we have to go undercover as tribesmen in an egalitarian society. He's like, okay, great idea. Except he has none of the ability to, to not, you know, get insulted anytime someone like looks him in the eye or right, exactly, or bumps into him on the yeah. way out. Ridiculous. You know, though, though it's funny that uh, this isn't a very well, pro hopefully, anyway, this isn't a very well documented thing that happens here on Organia because uh, this could have just helped the trial in Star Trek VI against Kirk, right? He's always hated he's always hated Klingons. Here's the proof of it. At every turn, he tries to mock or beat them up. Hopefully, they don't have any video of this uh, episode happening. Kirk and Spock then devise a plan to uh, blow up the munitions dump to... Try and do what exactly? To try and convince the Organians to fight back? Is that what they're trying to do? To just be hostile towards the Klingons? What exactly was the whole point of trying to do this? You got anything so, on that one? Yes, I do. So, of course, it's the 60s, right? right. And, and here at the height of the Cold War, pre-detente, so you would have, you know, basically the CIA or special forces or, you know, whoever, you, you'd put them in country. And they would lead resistance to, let's say, Soviet occupation or in the opposite direction. You know, you, they would be the guys leading or directing or organizing the Viet Cong or, uh, let's say, you'd have Soviet advisors in a place like Egypt or Syria who would be training Palestinians in how to take over Western airliners or this kind of thing. So you'd, you'd have this idea of the superpower sending in, you know, the CIA or some kind of, you know, guy from the Green Berets or something who would train the locals how to right. conduct sabotage, how to, so they're, in this case, they're saying, we're going to show you that it's possible to resist. This yeah. is what you do. You blow up a dump, you, you know, you take out a, an officer, you, you know, do this thing, you cut a line of communication, and, you know, so I think that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, this is the Cold War. This is the references they have. Right, true. They're just going with a totally contemporary, how, how would this play out? If it were, you know, 1965 and... But, you know, uh, my point is, though, is that, like, these guys seem so, like, passive and out of it that they don't... I mean, the way they're coming across right now, before we know the ending, right? Right. Is that they're, like... They just don't care. It's like, no, it's going to be fine. Oh, they're going to kill 200 of us. It's all going to be good, man. Yeah. You know, like. So knowing what Kirk knows about the world at this point. I don't even think that this is enough to like make them go, oh, okay, we can rebel now. We can get back to it. 
don't know. I guess it's just a very hopeful Kirk and Spock there. It is. So it, it's as though, you know, you find yourself in some kind of, you know, again, country with some different spiritual tradition than one that you're accustomed to. Yeah. So you, you see the same thing as like with the Romans and the Christians, right? So the Romans would constantly be threatening people's lives, thinking, well, this will change your behavior. And you'd have these early Christians who were like, no, this world is meaningless. It's the next world that's important. Go ahead, send us to the lions. Go ahead, crucify us. We don't care. And the Romans are like, you guys are babbling. <laughs> don't you value your own lives? Right. It's so, so difficult to work with. It's that kind of a thing. But again, we don't even have like the motivation of them of like having right. of like, oh well, it's fine. The afterlife is fine. You know what I mean? It's just like I feel like these these the, or, the what the Organians are doing. You yeah, know what I mean? And I know it's supposed to be a big reveal, save for the end, but we still right. don't even have that. Re you know, what were they trying to? You know, what point were they trying to make? Yeah, so it would be nice if the Organians had a philosophy to articulate something that yes. would distract our characters from. This is totally pointless behavior. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes. You know, you could you could have a thing where they articulate some, you know, radical pacifism, and Spock would be able to go, yes, uh, pacifism, an admirable, you know, philosophy, but perhaps ill-suited. The exact. I'm gonna I'm gonna leap ahead to the yeah. uh, city on the edge of forever, in which the plot hinges on the fact that. You know, the, the key woman in the story is this pacifist, and Spock is able to say, you know, pacifism is this noble thing, but perhaps this was the wrong time for it because it made the U.S. quiescent at a time when Hitler was on the rise and really yeah. the United States was necessary to confront this evil. So the pacifism was, was poorly placed in time. But you can't make such an argument when you have, like, basically no argument for the Organians. They're just That's true. Exactly. so advanced that they don't even, you know, they can't even argue against this violence. So they blow up said chemical munitions. Uh, the Organians are, are kind of upset about it. Uh, they don't like the violence. That's for sure. I do wonder tells... why, the, why the Klingons are using chemical munitions. <laughs> why, why right? you know, so again, we haven't quite thought out the implications of being 300 years in the future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, today, if you were to do it, it would all be like energy munitions. There would be no chemical munitions. Right. right? It'd be and like so batteries or some well, kind of would, charging thing. Yeah, it would be like, well, you think about a phaser, right? So in the very first episode, okay. in the cage, they're going to, yeah. you know, set their phasers to overload and explode, and they'll all die. And, you, you know, you can't do that with a gun, right? You can't, yeah. like, set gun to overload <laughs> and like we'll exactly. all end up dead. <laughs> you have to actually shoot people. <laughs> and so you'd think that the amount of energy contained in the energy munitions that the Klingons would have would be so enormous. It's not like you could just run away. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we're going to level the town. <laughs> yeah. If this stuff goes off, it's, you know, going to be gigantic. But now they've got chemical munitions, which is like that you basically may have had them like, here, we're going to break all their spears. And, and the Klingon spear carriers will be unarmed. <laughs> yeah, Kor doesn't seem that upset about it. He's like, uh, we can get more. It's fine. Yeah. We can make more spears, man. 
Kirk yells at the Organians, you don't have to be sheep, you can be wolves. But then we find out the core has been listening in. Dun, dun, dun. He finds out who Kirk really is. Kirk and Spock really are. Kirk is to be put into the mind scanner. But everyone says, no, there's no need to do that. I will tell you who these people are. This is Captain Kirk from the USS Enterprise. Oh, and Kor is so happy to find out that information. He's happy to have them. Airborne then says, uh, it, it, it uh, seems like he wants to destroy you as you do him. Yeah, like Airborne. a babble. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Airborne. That's great. Uh, we come back from commercial and uh, they take Spock away. Kor and uh, Kirk have another great scene here. Kor just wants to sit and talk, you know, revel in the uh, glory of, you know, missions past. Kirk says, you want me just to sit here and talk with the enemy? Kor says, one way or another, you will talk, whether it is with the machine or not. Kor tries to compare the human, human, <laughs> the humans, the humans. Kor tries to compare the humans and the Klingons. But uh, Kirk won't have any of it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Not gonna let you do that. Kor threatens to dissect Kirk. Please tell me, or I, I mean, dissect Spock, Spock yeah. to find out how his uh, brain works. And uh, he threatens Kirk with that. I'll dissect Spock if you don't tell me anything, you know, and then I'll have to use the machine on you and turn you into a vegetable. So you know, we have. I just love that he says thing. that. Right. We have this amusing thing where the Klingons basically have no experience with the Vulcans. Right. right? They don't realize the mind shifter won't work. They don't realize that, you know, this. And of course, as we learned the very first episode of Discovery, Vulcan Hello, that the Vulcan-Klingon relationship is actually quite old. Yeah. That, you know, they, it was so old that, the, that humans would have to ask the Vulcans, so... Uh, how did your first contact go? Because it's not like something that happened last week. or And so you'd think that Klingons would, I mean, again, they haven't thought things through, right? It's not 50 years right, exactly. into the franchise kind of a thing <laughs> where they've got the backstory all worked out. Right, you exactly. You can ask questions like, hmm, when, you know, what would the Vulcan Klingon first contact look like? So instead you've got the, the Vulcans are a mystery. We don't even know who they are or what they're capable of. Yeah. Mental disciplines, you say? Never heard of it. <laughs> Maybe they have. I don't know if they've, I mean, how many Vulcans would they think they've have captured? They probably just blew up everybody, don't you think? Yeah, but I, I mean, in the long history of connection, they would know that Vulcans should be you know, mentally formidable. Yeah, but that's for, true. For example, in, in the past, they've, they've resisted interrogation before. <laughs> This isn't the first time yeah. they've, you know, tried to interrogate a, a Vulcan. Kura, basically, for some very nice reason, decides to give uh, Kirk 12 hours to come to his senses and tell him everything he needs to know. Otherwise, I will turn you into a vegetable and put you in the machine. So he, he's totally acting like someone who's already won, right? Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Spock and Kirk are thrown into a cell together. And then the door magically opens. Airborne comes into the into the cell to release them. Here's another thing. I no cannot allow them. The whole episode, doors open by themselves. Yeah. And nobody stops to think, oh, wait, we thought this was a, you know, what, type D civilization or whatever they said. Yeah, 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 that's true. 
you know, it's one thing to walk on the Enterprise and for doors to open and close by themselves. And I, you know, I don't know whether the, the, they don't notice it because they're just used to doors opening and closing by themselves or whether, right. you know, what's, or whether, whether they've encountered class G civilizations that have self-opening doors. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But right. I don't know how these doors are opening and closing. Is it like the Organians are, are doing with their mental powers? <laughs> no one's like, yeah, exactly. These doors open. <laughs> They don't have any mechanism to make them open and close. Aren't there people standing at the... I don't know. I mean, I know that the Klingons closed the door on Spock and Kirk, mm -hmm. so they must just magically open the door. When the door magically opens, Airborne's there, so maybe... Yeah. I don't know. Hard to say, hard to say. Anyway, Airborne uh, comes, brings them into the cell and says, uh, I cannot allow them to do violence to you. I just wrote, huh? I mean, aren't there guards, I wonder? Well, in the next scene, we find out that all the that there were 10 guards posted in that prison cell, or prison area, and none of them saw anything. Kua then makes the announcement and says that 200 Organians were killed, and yet your council sits there and smiles. Commercial. And I wrote myself this note. I admit I am dumbfounded. I don't get it. I don't know what's going to happen, and I am fascinated. Back to it. Kirk doesn't want the Organians to die. He demands their phasers come back. Airborne says, I can't give them to you. You're going to, that would, you would do violence upon the, uh, the Klingons. So Kirk basically uh, pretends he, not pretends, Kirk basically decides he's going to go use violence against Airborne to make him tell him where the phasers are. So they yeah, tell so him where the phasers are. In one sense, you've got like a parent, the Organians, right? Right. And you've got two children. And one of the children has, you know, made the, the bunny ears on the shadow of the adult. And the other child is like punching him and like, you know, don't do that. Don't make fun of, you know, my mom, I'm going to beat you up. And the parent is like, why are you fighting? <laughs> you know, like I was not harmed by the shadow. Stop it. Yeah, exactly. Stop fighting. This, the fighting is stupid. I don't even understand it. You know, the, the thing that they did was, you know, mildly amusing, not even harmful. I, you know, it's like, I don't see the, the whole the whole reason for the fighting doesn't even make sense. What are you people doing? Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. It's that it's kind funny, of like scenario, right? Where it's like, the Organians don't even get it. They're so far above this kind of conflict that it baffles them. They can't talk about it. They can't articulate the... Why they're not bothered. Yeah. They can't argue people out of it. They do weird things like, well, we're going to give Kirk over to the, the Klingons. Which is bizarre, right? Well, I'm sure they were hoping that was going to end the fighting. Yeah, that they'd be like, oh, it's like giving the toy to the one child. And it's like, okay, well, I'm happy now. Want to play with the toy? Let's share. Do, 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 do. Like the adult wishes things would happen, right? But instead, yeah, the yeah, child yeah, gets, yeah. gets the truck and then hits the other kid with the truck. And you're like, no, no, no. That's not why I gave you the truck. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> why are you fighting? <laughs> Kirk is going to go attack the Klingons. It'll be him and Spock versus the an army. He's basically, again, trying to, like, you know, show them that, hey, even just two of us, with our bravery, might be able to spark something in the Organians. 
Airborne calls this foolish. And as they're walking out, the Organians say, well, we won't allow it. Whatever that means. Spock and Kirk uh, stun the guards and rush in to find Coor at his uh, office. And then uh, we cut back to the council room, and uh, the council now is uh, preparing for something. We don't exactly know what, but they close their eyes. Coor decides he's going to uh, round up 200 more Oganians for letting Kirk go. He yells them again about being sheep. Kirk and Spock then attack another Klingon. I got backwards. So they rushed to find Kor, but they hadn't gotten to Kor yet. I messed that up. Moving on. So uh, Kirk and Spock then attack another Klingon. Uh, they uh, basically are going to stop this guy from getting 200 more Organians and killing them. Now they rush into Kor's office. This Klingon, Not- by the way, surrenders pretty easily. You know, as, as we think about Klingons later on, this guy goes down pretty quickly and gives up the information fast. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite feel right. But, yeah. of course, they hadn't worked out Klingons quite yet. Exactly. Uh, Obviously, this is the first one. Yeah. You're 27 episodes in, our first Klingons. We saw the Romulans before we saw the Klingons. We did. But Kirk says that he will not kill Kor. Kor calls the Federation's hope for peace ridiculous. And this is the ring on reason that the Klingons will live. Now this, this sounds like discovery. This approach to the difference between humans and Klingons, that lives. That goes on forever. Yeah. Suddenly, we find out that the Federation fleet has entered the system and engaged the Klingon fleet. Kur then reveals that they've been watched by the other Klingons, who then rush in and the attack begins. Or does it? They quickly drop all their their weapons like they're hot. (laughs) What's that? This would be so cool. Right, yes, but it's not. So instead, they uh, drop their weapons like they're hot. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. So uh, they attempt melee, too, but then uh, they begin too hot to touch each other. And then this happens on the Enterprise as well, as we see Sulu and uh, everybody jump away from controls. And we can assume that this happens on the Klingon ship as well. But obviously, that's too expensive a set, so we can't uh, we can't go to the Klingon Klingon. Uh, well, not Shit. just that, but, you know, so you imagine stuff like, you know, the opening, it's like episode two of Discovery, right? With its gigantic battle and all that cool stuff. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But no, <laughs> too hard to touch. That was called off. The Organians ruined a really good episode. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Jeez. <laughs> it have been so great. Klingons and Federation fighting each other. The council comes in. Uh, we are sorry to interfere, he says. Uh, also, um, did you notice, and I noticed he does this twice, Sulu doesn't call them Klingons, he calls them Klingens. Yeah. Oh, that just bugged me. The Klingons. They're the Klingons. The ship is speaking, dead, says Sulu. Speaking of strange accents, okay. no Scotty, no McCoy in this episode. Yeah. This is only the third episode without McCoy in it. And it will be the last episode without McCoy. <laughs> true. Also after, true. After this, his importance in the trio will be you know, so necessary that you can't do without him. Right? Obviously. Uh, the ship is dead. And Airborne at this point says that uh, the war between them stops now or he'll stop it for us. Let's continue that uh, parent analogy, huh? 
right? Right. All right, you're gonna stop this war right now, or I'm gonna turn this whole planet around. <laughs> Back at Airborne, uh, but we have grievances. They've taken our planets, killed our people. They boast about taking over half the galaxy. Core comes back. And we are the more powerful side. Kirk, what gives you the right to decide how we... And then the Organians. Wage war? Destroy innocent people? Destroy life on a planetary scale? Is that what you are defending? And suddenly Kirk is speechless. Even like Spock puts a look on his face like... Whoa, that guy put you in your, in your place, bro. That happened. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the look on Spock's face is amazing there. And then Kirk walks back a little bit and says, okay, okay. I mean, I mean, no one wants war, he says. And then the Organians here with a, uh, I was going to say profitable, which is not quite what I meant, but with a very uh, uh, correct a uh, view of the future in which he says, don't worry, you and the Klingons will become fast friends. Millions of years ago, says Alborn, we were beings like you, but not anymore. And then suddenly these two council members transform into a luminous light, then disappear. Spock says two things that we know Spock very well for saying, one of which is pure energy. Which, uh, you know, Information Society put in that song, remember? Deep, 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 pure energy. And then the other one is he says, uh, it's life, but not as we know it. Yay. Two fun Spock things right in a row. That's right. Well, what now, says Kirk? The, Arga the Arganians are not going to let us fight. To which Cole replies, too bad. It would have been glorious. You so see, here, you see, Kurt, here you have another one of these values conflicts, right? Right. In which you got the peace-loving federation who, because of the logic of the situation, are willing to fight because there's no way to impose a peace just by willing it, right? This right. is a this is a solution that they had not imagined. Well, why don't we just find super beings who just like let's go tell Mama. Because she'll just, like, put the smack down and end it all, right? Yeah. Let's go find Trelane and see if we can't, like, bargain. We'll, we'll sit around and play in his court for ten years if he'll magically end the war. So that they don't go, like, look for some super being to just magically end it. Instead of thinking, well, what we're going to have to do is fight. The way we've yeah. done it in the past, it'll be terrible and awful. But there's no other solution. But, of course, there is another solution. You could go tell Mom, and she's just like, I'm going to separate you two with heat if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> and But once it's revealed that, oh, wait, there is another option. We can just have peace, right? And it looks like we're going to have peace handed to us. Well, that's actually a good thing. We're going to embrace it. But the, the Klingons, yeah. because they don't want peace, this is not a good. This is not you went to Mama right. and got a good thing done. You know, this is like you got our art supplies taken away. <laughs> you know, my, my homework has been confiscated. All the things that are good have been like, you know, the dog got sold. The dog got you know, sold. It's like we couldn't decide who was going to walk the dog today, so you just got rid of the dog. <laughs> you know, like, right. Well, wait a minute. That, 
This doesn't make any sense. We liked the dog. <laughs> Why have you done this? So that's how the Klingons view this situation. Of course, they, they want to fight. They think that fighting is good. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's how you figure out who should be in charge. Survival of the fittest, according to the Klingons. That's right. So uh, back on the ship, we see Kirk. He's, you know, mulling it over, thinking about what happened. So Spock asks him about it, and he says, uh, you know, we think of ourselves as the most dominant beings in the universe. And it looks like we were wrong. Except they keep encountering super beings. It was like, <laughs> I mean, how many episodes has it been? I know. Well, that's what I was going to go on to say. I was going to be like, well, you, you, there's Trelane. Don't forget about him. There was Charlie X. <laughs> <laughs> right? Charlie X. There are those, all sorts those, of examples. The people from the cage slash menagerie, you know, those guys. Right? They, they, they yeah. see him a lot. <laughs> I don't know how you walk around thinking, yeah, we are, we are the elite of the galaxy. That wraps up that episode. It's more like uh, you know, we bump into super okay. all the time, but they never interfere in our geopolitical situation. <laughs> Until I never now. saw that one coming. Who would have thought that they wanted peace? I guess you Trelane know, didn't want peace. No, none of them. Char Charlie X just wanted uh, Yeoman Rand. Uh, Trelane wanted someone yeah. to just like hang out and chat with him and like play his 18th century, you know, courtly games. Yeah. What are the super beings we got? Oh, we we got the we the uh, the people from the cage just wanted people to breed so they could become slaves. Yes. So they had TV basically. That's the reason. Uh, the menagerie or the mm -hmm. yeah, those people. Telosians. Telosians. Yeah. yeah. Spore or whatever. Yeah. Yep. This is new. Even with uh, all of the stuff on uh, Desilu. Back lot. All of the other, uh, you know, savings that they used on the visual effects and everything else, Aaron De Mercy actually came in under budget, $175,000. So uh, they basically came in under nine, uh, $9,000 below, which now lowered the deficit again that they're in. But that deficit still lingering over their head is still $74,000. That's crazy for the season. And unfortunately, next week's episode isn't going to help, <laughs> as you can imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, you know what next week's episode is? Oh, it's the city at the edge of forever. Ah, well, yeah. Although, you know, a lot of that so, stuff uh, has to be like just back lot, right? Uh, most of it was. Uh, if you recall, that when they uh, stunned the two uh, the two guards before running into Fine Core, that was the same place that they filmed uh, the menagerie at or the cage at. It was right out the building when they fought fought the big guy mm -hmm. before they. But they had the matte painting on in that one. They didn't have the matte painting on in this one. So, uh, yeah, some of those places we had seen before. Uh, also, there was that, that when they looked up and they saw, like, the ancient castle, like, right at the beginning, that, too, wasn't a matte painting. That was just old footage from another movie that they were able to slap on and use on this one. DC Fontana has this to say about the Klingons. Well, we never thought that they were going to catch on the way that they did, she said. But let's face it, in production terms, Romulans and Vulcans were expensive to do because of the ears. Uh, I mean, you could hide some of them with headdresses and things like that, but they still have the eyebrows. Whereas the Klingons, all you have is just the facial hair and slightly darkened skin, and that was pretty much it. You could go with that, she says. The author then goes on to say, it wasn't until 1979, Star Trek The Motion Picture, that the Klingons got their most dramatic makeover. And also goes on to point out, this is weird, hold on, let me see if I can find that again. 
The ex- this is from the book. The explanation for the different look given to the future uh, is given in a future episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Like the Federation and Earth itself, apparently the Klingon Empire as uh, includes many races. I've never heard that before. The what? Like Klingon Empire includes many different kinds of races of Klingons. Oh, yeah. Isn't that weird? So they wanted to bring uh, Core back for a couple of ec- episodes and uh, and John Killicos to play him. Yeah, uh, they wanted him back. More. Yeah, they were, he was going to be in the Trouble Tribbles. He was going to be in a private little war and Day of the Dove. But uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, he was either working or other things were happening. So they couldn't uh, bring back that same character, which is too, too sad. However, Core does return. He's first seen in the uh, in the. Uh, Animated episode, The Time Trap. Uh, and oddly enough, James Doohan does the voice for him. <laughs> uh, but Colicos, as core, does return to the Star Trek universe for three episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine. As a that? modern Klingon. Yeah. Then goes back on whatever they said in that episode of Next Generation, which isn't labeled, but anyway. All right. Well, that's all I got for this uh, this week. I think uh, that about wraps it up. We've talked a lot about that episode, more than I thought we would, so that's good. Uh, as I said, I think next week's going to be a, a big episode. I have a feeling that it could uh, it could get up somewhere near the hour and a half because we got a lot of behind-the-scenes fun stuff to talk about that episode. we got everything going on with the author. we got uh, different versions of the draft to talk about, plus not just to mention what a great episode it is. Uh, to discuss and uh, play in. So I say, hey, everyone, look forward to next week. It could be a two-parter. You'll, uh, we'll have to find out, just like we did with uh, 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 Balance of Terror, which is another one of our favorite episodes. So that's it. Uh, anything else you want to eat? We didn't get to, Ken, that you, you wanted to mention? No, that's, uh, I think we, we covered it pretty well. All right. Awesome sauce. Well, As always, my name is Matt, and I'm saying goodbye from Austin. And as always, from uh, Houston, say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we go. Perfect. And we will see everybody next week.